everybody. Welcome back to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me back again this week, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, we're glad you're back and you're doing well. Uh, you are ready to talk some baseball? Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm I'm overdue to talk some baseball right now, man. I, I'm I'm pretty bored with the rest of the world. Well, you could tell I was excited because my voice got really high when I said the word baseball there. Yeah, well, it's like my Peter yeah, Brady impersonation. Yeah. That's right. It's time to change. <laughs> well, we have got a incredible show for you today. We have got a spectacular guest that we had such a good time with. We kept him a little bit longer than we were planning on, uh, but he was a joy to talk to. And we're probably going to break this one up into two parts because, like I said, we just kept asking questions and he kept giving us uh, some great stories. We have got a, uh, a veteran of the major leagues, a first-round draft pick. He is uh, was a pitcher who started out as a starter and then a reliever for the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago White Sox and, and some other teams. Sean Lowe is joining us today, and uh, you're going to definitely want to stick around. He has got some great stories. And Mark, he was really everything we could have hoped for when uh, when he agreed to come on our show. Yeah, it was a perfect interview. He, he knew what people wanted to hear. Is you know, And he told these, these stories, like you mentioned, uh, from his time in the big leagues and the minor leagues and so on. And absolute classics yep exactly kind of what we envisioned this show being when we when we talked to a, a former player uh, he delivered yeah. so uh, before we do that though we do want to get uh, get properly uh, in in the proper mindset get our bodies and minds ready so we're going to start with bp first and i got a couple of things for you mark uh, a couple right. of just odd uh, odd numbers that uh, one is going to be kind of a trivia question for you there are only eight players in history that have 300 home runs and 300 steals. Can you can you come up with some? I'm, I would have never come up with all these names, but uh, let's see how many of them you can knock out. 300 home runs and 300 steals. Yep. Well, Ricky Henderson? No, Ricky did not have 300 home runs. How many home runs, man? 297. I was going to say 294, but I thought that was too close to 300, so just short. So so my answer was super close. It was super close. If it was right. who has 300 steals and 297 home runs, you right. would have gotten one of them already. I, yeah, shoot. I, I just wasn't focused. <laughs> so one, I mean, uh, knock, out, knock out the easiest one is who has the most home runs. Are you talking about Barry Bonds yeah. or are you talking about Hank Aaron? Okay, nope, so Barry, Barry. Bonds. Barry Bonds, there is one. Now, uh, I'll give you another easy one. His father. <laughs> well, we'll go with Bobby Bonds. Look at that. I got two. All right, you got two. Uh, now, Barry Bonds, before he went to, uh, before he went, you know, when he was on the Pirates, he wore a number in honor of this guy that then he went to the Giants and this guy said, yes, you can wear my number, but he opted not to and wore 25 instead. Uh, that would be a guy with 660 career home runs, Willie Mays. There you go. Now, the rest of these, are some of them are, are probably pretty obvious when, when I say it. A-Rod is there, 300 home okay. runs, 300 steals. Sure. The others are maybe not as obvious. First, you got Reggie Sanders. <laughs> Reggie Sanders? Wow, I wouldn't have come up with that. Yeah, so Reggie Sanders ended with 305 home runs, 
and uh, 304 stolen bases. Oh, wow. Just, just like got over the, the end right there, just over the finish line. Hey, it, it doesn't matter where hey. you finish as long as you finish. <laughs> well, remember what we almost called this show? Line drive in the scorebook. <laughs> Line drive in the box score. That's it. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, next one, Andre Dawson. Oh, Andre, uh, Andre with the home runs killed it. 438. And then he had 314 career stolen wow. bases. I know you That's, don't think of wow. him as having that many, do you? No, no, you know, but he played for a while. Yeah. I mean, he played. Uh, next on the list is disgraced manager Carlos Beltran. Uh, Beltran, <laughs> yeah, he had like 400 home runs, I think. 435 home runs, 312 stolen bases. A lot of these guys are just getting under that that mark of stolen bases, but again, who cares? They're They're doing it. Beltran also has a record for four, shortest lived managerial stint. Uh, no, actually, he's tied because he never managed a game. Wally Backman, if you remember, was hired by the Arizona Diamondbacks and then was actually uh, released before their first game as well. But uh, all ties in with the Mets. See all the <laughs> stuff you learn on this show. Uh, and then the last member of this uh, this elite squad is Steve Finley. Oh, my gosh. One of my all-time favorite players. Yeah. So, Steve Finley, again, 304 home runs, 320 stolen bases. I don't think I'd have come up with that. I mean, I, I didn't put him on 100 home runs, to be honest. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, Reggie Sanders, Andre Dawson, and Finley. I, I to be honest, I would have never come up with Bobby Bonds. Yeah. But that's quite a list right there. Uh, and then a, I think I think I said a rod, right? A rods included. Yeah, you did. That's impressive numbers to, to be that verse. Well, and then, of course, Barry Bonds, when you dig into his, uh, he's also a member of the 400 400 and also the 500 500 squad, too. So <laughs> he, you know, wow. he is by far and away the most elite when it comes to that category. You can, you know, put as many asterisks as you want by the the 762 home runs, but he did have 514 stolen bases as well. That's so, a lot of stolen bases. Yeah, that's well. I mean, it's you know about a third of what Ricky did, but well, come on, man, you, you you're like you're saying, well, you're pretty Catholic, but you're not the Pope. <laughs> but then again, you know, Ricky only hit like 40 percent of the home runs <laughs> that Barry Bonds <laughs> right. hit, so th- maybe 30, 35, somewhere around there. But there you go. So that that was a that was a one of those fun ones. I thought when I saw that some of those players knew absolutely who would be there, and then others I would have never guessed. Very interesting. Uh, I got another little uh, number uh, thing here for you for New York baseball clubs, and I'm just talking current ones. So we're talking Mets and Yankees, and we're mm-hmm. specifically talking about players who've played for both teams, mm. and who has the most hits combined between their time with the Mets and the Yankees. Do you have any oh. idea on this one? This is this one I I mean my first my first response was well Ricky Henderson played for both of them but you know where my mind is always right. pointing. Yeah. And Ricky Henderson did have 159 hits for the Mets and 663 for the Yankees. But he is second on this list in terms of hits total between the two teams wow um 
This is a tough one, man. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm not expecting you to get this one, but I just we're, we're milking it so our listeners can kind of think about it as well. <laughs> uh, I'll give you another guy that played for both teams that has fewer hits than Ricky Henderson, and that was Gary Sheffield. Oh, sure. I vaguely remember Sheffield being on the Mets. It it couldn't have been more than a season, and I'm guessing he was hurt or traded because he only collected 74 hits for the Mets, but he collected 381 while he was wearing the Yankee pinstripes. Okay. Hey, but, actually, the guy I was thinking of that has already come up mm-hmm. was um, Beltran, Carlos Beltran. There you go. Very nice. Nice. That, I got that it. is your leader. That is your winner. Yes. Ding, ding. Chicken dinner. Carlos Beltran collected 335 hits with the Yankees and 878 while he was with the Mets. By far the the leader in the New York, New York category. No doubt. Now, I'd be uh, maybe I'll go back and look and just see if we extended that to people that played for the Giants, Dodgers and Yankees when all three were based out of New York. New York, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very nice. I'm, I'm impressed that you got that. Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much. I He happened to come up earlier, and so I yep. kind of had him on my mind. I'll admit it. <laughs> okay. Doesn't matter. Again, you crossed the finish line. Yes. All right. Let's look at some uh, debuts. This show is debuting on May 5th. Is that Cinco de Mayo? I did not realize. We were a Cinco little disappointed this wasn't on May 4th, but yes. uh, May yeah, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, debuts for May 5th, 1937. One of the greatest names. We talked about this guy. You were still on vacation when we talked to uh, D.B. Firstman about uh, their their Hall of Name book. Boots Poffenberger made his debut today in 1937. Oh, Boots Poffenberger. Poffenberger. Wow. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorites. So Cletus Elwood Poffenberger, who always went by boots, came in in relief versus the Red Sox, ended up pitching six and two-thirds innings, only gave up four hits and one run versus future Hall of Famer Lefty Grove, and he got the win, too. Uh, Now, Boots was a character. Boots was like kind of like Manny Ramirez, Ricky Henderson, uh, kind of these eccentric personalities all put into one in the 19 late 1930s uh, he did quite a few things he was suspended once for throwing at the umpire <laughs> okay um the the best story though is in 1938 so this was after his rookie season which was a, he was a phenomenal success after his rookie season so 1938 rolls around and Wheaties comes calling for boots they want him to be a spokesman He's paid the night before to come on to this live radio. You know, this is live. They're not recording stuff at this point. All radio is live. So they pay him to come on and, uh, you know, tell everybody how he loves to eat his Wheaties in the morning. So Boots comes in to do the live spot. And he was supposed to say, hey, uh, I was going to have, I just had my Wheaties for breakfast. But when they ask him what he was going to have for breakfast, he actually says a beer and a steak. A little bit, little bit different. Well, Boots, it's a different type of breakfast champions, I guess. It, it is. Boots, though, to his dying day, denied the story, saying, anybody that knows me knows that isn't true. I'd rather, I'd either be icing a case of beer in the bathtub or I'd be out at a bar. 
<laughs> Boots. Boots. Boots was known to, to drink a little bit. Uh, the, the next debut that happened today of a historical note today in 2013, Garrett Cole first stepped on a major league mound. He was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were facing the San Francisco Giants. He went up against Tim Lincecum. He got the win, went six and a third innings, gave up seven hits, two earned runs, two strikeouts, went one for three at the plate with two RBIs. Nice. Not a a bad debut, eh? Yeah, that's a heck of a debut. Uh, After his first start, he then went on to beat Zach Greinke in his second start, becoming the first pitcher to ever defeat former Cy Young Award winners in their first two starts. Nice. Did you know that Garrett Cole has a nickname? I'm not aware of that, no. I was not either, but he's apparently nicknamed the Cole Train. The Cole Train. Okay. Not that makes to be, sense. Not to be confused with Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> A great uh, character in his own right. <laughs> uh, Garrett Cole is married to Amy Crawford, who's a former UCLA softball player. They met during Garrett's time at UCLA, and she is the sister of San Francisco Giants shortstop Brandon Crawford. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I asked you a trivia question. Uh, last week, uh, I actually, I think, I think I asked everybody else trivia question last week. I think you had already had to leave uh, when I asked this, but my trivia question was this: that uh, Derek Jeter spent his entire career playing for the same team at the same position, not counting any games at DH. Which current player played for the has so far played for a single team at a single position the longest? Okay, yeah, I, you did ask me this question because I was, I, I really had a hard time coming up with anybody. Um, but I, I started thinking, like, uh, if a catcher has a lot of longevity, those guys, like, how long did Johnny Bench catch for Cincinnati? Stuff like that. So can you answer me this? Is it a catcher? It is not. That's a okay. good line of, you know, good Good line of thinking, though. But no, it is not a catcher. Mm. Well, I'm at a loss, man. I don't. I. I don't know. Tell me. I, and of course, here I think the caveat being the same team, uh, especially with yeah. free agency now. Oh yeah. You know, somebody like uh, you know one of the Molinas have. I, I think they generally. I don't think they ever go and play first base. They might have. A game or two, but the answer currently is Elvis Andrus of the really? Texas Rangers. Since 2009, when he made his debut, of course he's only been with the Rangers, and he has played no position other than shortstop. Good for Elvis. You know, as I said, we're disregarding the DH. He has appeared as the DH several times throughout his career, but beyond that, nowhere has he played defensively other than shortstop, nor for the Texas Rangers. Do you know how much Very money nice. Elvis Andrus has made over his career so far? I do not know, but I'd like to borrow some. $90 million. <laughs> is that good? That's that's uh, a lot, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, Elvis Andrus is an above average major yeah. league baseball player. He's He came in second uh, in the rookie of the year balloting in 2009. He's He's been an all-star twice. So, I mean, it's not like he's... 
you know, it's not like he's a future Hall of Famer, but he's no, an but above he's a, average yeah. major league player. He's a very good ball player. Absolutely. $90 million. That's, uh, boy, it's good work if you can get it. Yeah, so I'm just looking at on baseball reference here. Some of the similar, uh, similar batter scores for players. Uh, uh, I guess this is for career-wise. He is closest to Rafael Fercal. Uh, Phil okay. Rizzuto, who is a Hall of Famer, Mike Bordick, Gary Templeton, Joe Tinker, another Hall of Famer, Greg Gagne. I, okay, now I say Greg Gagne like he's Eric Gagne. It's Greg it's Gagne. Gagne, they Greg spell, Gagne. They spell their name. I I will say them wrong every single time. Uh, sing, uh, similar batters through the same age. He's very uh, similar to Alan Trammell, who, of course, is a Hall of Famer. Jimmy wow. Rollins, Edgar Renteria. Tony Fernandez, some good names. And Granny Hamner. I have never heard of Granny Hamner. I, I wish my nickname was Granny. Well, no, that's, uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, Granville Wilbur Hamner. What a name. <laughs> he's, rel- he's the brother of Garvin Hamner. He had a 17-year major league career as a shortstop mainly for Philadelphia. Wow. Good for him. Wow. Good Go for Granny. Granny. Led the league in uh, double plays grounded into in 1957. Was Not a three-time great. All-Star. There you go. Yeah, good for you. All so right. maybe Elvis is, is just a modern-day Granny. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Granny, Granny played a couple of different positions. He also played uh, while well, he moved all around the infield. Gotcha. All right, so I got a new question for you for next week. And uh, we're going to invoke somebody that made his debut today, and it is not Boots Poffenberger. It is Garrett Cole. Last year, Garrett Cole struck out 14 hitters during a start. His next start on September 2nd, he struck out 14 hitters again. And then the next start, he uh, struck out 15 batters. Three consecutive games of 14 or more strikeouts was a feat that had only been accomplished once before in baseball history. Can you tell me who else has accomplished this incredible feat? No, I can't. I might be able to guess later. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> that's the question for next okay, week. Okay. Three consecutive starts, 14 or more strikeouts. Only been done twice. Once was last year by Garrett Cole. Who else did it? All right. I'll bat that around. All right. So that'll do it for our BP segment. We'll uh, let the grounds crew do their thing. And we are going to get ready to welcome our very special guest. All right. So this week we are joined by a seven-year veteran of the major leagues, a first-round draft pick out of Arizona State University. Sean Lowe broke into the big leagues in 1997 with the St. Louis Cardinals and then went on to play for the White Sox, the Pirates, the Rockies, and the Royals, and was nice enough to join us today. Sean, thank you very much, and welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I'm glad to be here. So uh, we've uh, I, I've got quite a, quite a bit of ground uh, we'd like to cover with you here today, but I, I got to ask first of all, you, you made the majors obviously as a pitcher. Uh, did you were you always a pitcher? Um, I mean, I played everything when I was a kid. Um, up through high school and uh, when I went to college um, I ended up uh, becoming a PO is what you'd call it but 
but I was always knew that I'd probably be a pitcher. That was always the thing I did the best. Um, so it was an easy thing for me, but, um, that was what I wanted to do too. I mean, I was always a pitcher in my mind, I guess, but I played just about everything. Was there a, was there a certain pitcher that you modeled yourself after? Now you grew up in Texas, right? And uh-huh. then went- yeah. Yep. Yeah. My, you know, my biggest ones were, uh, actually had two of them. Um, you know, Roger Clemens. Um, I was a big Texas fan, uh, growing up back, back then, uh, as a youngster and, uh, Dwight Gooden, I always liked him a whole lot. So, I, and, and knowing Ryan too, um, somewhat, but, but I, I had two posters. I remember, uh, one was a Clemens poster and one was a Dwight Gooden poster when I was in high school. <laughs> if I should say that. <laughs> I, was, I was definitely fishing for that Nolan Ryan because Mark is a huge <laughs> Nolan Ryan. I mean, fan. Nolan's huge. You know, he. I mean, he's he's always. I mean, everybody's Nolan Ryan. You know, but that, those are the two posters. You know, those are the two I kind of linked with more and, and saw more. You know, um, and I, I don't know why, but Nolan was always. I mean, he's still a hero. I mean, he's he is what he is. You know, I mean, he's he's one of the best ever. You know, as a a player, person, ambassador for the game, businessman. I mean, gosh, you know, you, you got to look up to that guy. Yeah, I don't think you can, you can, you can't back up in Texas without running into some Nolan Ryan beef somewhere these days. Oh, everywhere. Yeah, I eat it all the time. <laughs> it ain't so, Sean, I'm sorry. Sean, I got a question for you. You, uh, when you came out of uh, high school, you were drafted, correct? Uh-huh. And, and then you decided not to you decided to go on and play still not 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 professionally and then you were drafted again and, yep. and you still said you're going to play some more and then you got drafted a third time that time it was in uh-huh. the first round so it seemed like it paid off yep. pretty well yeah you know um the, the funny thing about that you know it, it was different back then they, they had like the draft and follow is what they call it to where if a team drafts you you know, they have all the way up to the next year, like a week before the next year's draft to actually offer you. They can offer you that whole time. Um, so, like, when I got drafted out of high school, the Reds drafted me, and and I was going to – I went to junior college first. Um, I was – like I said, I was a big UT Texas fan, and, and um, they recruited me some, but not not as much as some other schools did. Uh, as far as like scholarships go, they, but, uh, I just wasn't going to go there, but I wanted to go there. I didn't really care about going nowhere else. So I went to junior college. So when the Reds knew that they drafted me and, you know, they, they kind of drafted me as they draft and follow. So it, I didn't really have a big decision to make at that time, other than if I wanted some peanuts or go to college, you know, and I, I really wasn't ready as a, just maturity wise, I wasn't ready to go play pro ball, you know. Um, and then Oakland drafted me after my freshman year, kind of like the same thing. They didn't even really offer me after the draft. They offered me before the next year draft, the '91 draft. They offered me uh, like fifty thousand bucks in my school, and uh, and then I was already signed to go to Arizona State. And uh, I just that was the only time I had to make a decision, and I felt like going to Arizona State was, you know, I'd take my chances one more time out there, you know, and, and it did. It worked out. You know, I got, you got picked in the first round. You know, I, my coach there, you know, the, at the school, our pitching coach, uh, Dub Kilgo, 
um, he was a big influence on that. I mean, he really, he really took a, you know, just a, a kid that just threw hard and, and made him a lot better pitcher, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's where I, that's why I jumped so good. I just, I really matured and, uh, got around to, not to say my Juco coaches weren't good, but this guy was just really good for me personally as a pitcher, you know? Sure. So, uh, he just helped me a lot, and and next thing you know, I, you know, I, I become a real top prospect, and you know, got a chance to go live my dream. Fantastic. So you get drafted out of the first round of uh, from from Arizona State. You spend a couple of years in the minors. Tell us about uh, how did a lot of years in minors. Down <laughs> there, <laughs> you know, I I threw a lot of innings in the minors. I. I was a slow developer, you know, um, had a good arm, uh, good curveball, but I had to learn how to pitch, you know, and I learned in, in pro ball really how to really pitch, you know, and kind of understand myself better, you know. But I spent a lot of time there, and I learned a lot there, um, which helps me now when I coach kids, you know. Well, speaking of the minors, in 1995, you were playing in Arkansas in the Texas League. And you uh-huh. hit a home run. Do you remember yeah. this home run? <laughs> yeah, this is a good story for you right here. Uh, we were at it was Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Ryan Creek was the pitcher. I think he played some in the big leagues. His older brother played, played with me, Doug. We played together with St. Foot. Yeah, Doug had a good career in the big leagues. Uh, but it was off of him. We were actually friends because of Doug. And uh, it was my first at bat. We. I think it was – I got in there. It was like the second inning, third inning. We we kind of got to him, I think, a little bit. And, uh, you know, he threw a fastball. hit a home run. You know, I was I was elated. You know, I didn't last for like three three or so innings, though. I, I didn't pitch very good. And after – you know, when the, when the manager pulled me, I actually went in there and packed my bags up. I was, I was like done. I was tired of baseball, you know. I actually packed my bags and drove to the damn airport. And I was oh. going to go home. I was going to take a break and go home. And at the time, I had a buddy that that lived in a house that I had, and he was there. He was a, he was a high school baseball coach. And I called him to tell him. I said, "Hey, man, I got a flight coming in tonight." He goes, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm I'm coming. I'm coming home. I'm tired of this crap. You know, I, it's too. You know, it's just getting to me. Blah blah blah. You know, crying in my crying tongue. You know." And, He's like, man, you know what I got to do in the morning? He goes, I got to get up at 6 in the morning and go teach a bunch of little turds. Then I get to go play <laughs> baseball, you know? And, you know, we talked for about an hour, and, you know, he calmed me down, and, you know, I, I didn't end up going home, thank gosh. Good thing. And, uh, yeah, I went home to the, to the hotel. Next day I get to the field. The manager is Mike Ramsey. He's an old big leaguer. He calls me in the office. He says, Sean, he goes, you owe me 50 bucks. You don't ever leave the field. Don't don't leave until the game's over. And I said, okay. He goes, do I need to say anything else? I said, no. You know, from then on, it was kind of like, you know, but it was I was having a tough time there. That's what I'm saying. I pitched a lot of innings there, but but uh, <laughs> the home run was great, and the story you know, the story was crying in my beer, you know, because I couldn't pitch good, but I could hit a home run. <laughs> the only one I ever hit in a pro ball, you know, I, I didn't hit that bad. You know, I was a decent little little hitter and i did my button and stuff but but i definitely wasn't a home run hitter do you still did you get that ball i don't have it uh-uh oh. i don't even i don't know where it ended up 
You no, know, fair. Um, I, yeah, you know, I, I never was a, a big collector um, with stuff. I, I did get some baseballs for some guys that I really liked, you know, in the league when I got in the big leagues. But, you know, I didn't keep a whole lot of stuff. Um, a lot of stuff that I did keep, I kind of brought it home, gave it to my dad. You know, he's got a little thing over at his house that – that, that he's kept and done things. And he's every time he comes over, he kind of brings me stuff. You know, I'm like, that. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll neat. get it. I, you know, I'll get it one day. You know? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I wish I would have looking back, you know, you don't, I didn't realize at the time, you know, but I look back, I wish I would have got more of stuff like that. Just, just to look back and, you know, have good memories of, you know, to look at. What is, what is the one thing that you did get? That's like the thing that you look back and, and think that's pretty cool. What what's the what's the best part of your? Uh, as far as my stuff goes, like my first win, I got a ball there. Um, mm-hmm. My pro debut, actually, just pro when I was in a ball, I got a ball from that. Um, and I just like you know I kept you know my jerseys and stuff, but um, you know I got some Hall of Famers on a baseball, you know some baseball signees. Those are probably my most you know pride just because they're Hall of Fame players. You know I always look up to those guys, but. But I don't know. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't just didn't really get a whole bunch of stuff, you know. Um, I didn't even take pictures like I should, you know, things like that. I always hated taking pictures, you know, so I don't have much memorabilia. (laughs) So you you do, you you didn't spend, we we open a lot of baseball cards and we see a lot of guys with some real small print on the back of their cards where they were in the minors (laughs) just forever. And then they finally get in the big leagues. So uh, you you did spend a couple of years in the minors, but then can you walk us through how you got told that you were getting called up? You were, you were going to make the the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, it was a 97, of course. Uh, It was toward the end of the year. I was, I had a really good season um, pitching. It was my second year to be in AAA. Um, I spent 96 there as well. And uh, I just, I kind of found it right there, you know, that season. And my command got a lot better. And, you know, I knew I might have had a chance, you know. And at the, at the end of the, the minor league year, you know, when you get into July and August, you start thinking about September call-ups if you haven't been, you know. And, um but I was just trying to finish out the season. It was the end of August. You know, I had one more, uh, one more start left, actually, in the minors. And um, we were in Louisville, Kentucky, at our home field. And that, that we played at the football field, the college football field, had a short porch and right. It was awesome, though. It was a great stadium. It had a little, nice little, you know, team bar or, you know, bar there that after the game, you go up and have a beer after the game. I always like that. <laughs> But, uh, but you know, I, I threw I actually threw a bullpen. Uh, it was my second day, and I, I think I was starting in three days. So I, I threw my bullpen. It was after our VP, and I, you know, I walked in, and a manager called me in the office, and he sat me down, and he was talking about you know my next start and everything, and he was kind of leading up to it. I mean, what do you think about your next start? I said, you know, I feel good. I just hate it's my last one, you know, and I feel like I had a good year, and you know, he goes, well. I'm just going to let you know it's it, it probably not going to be your last. It's going to be your last one. Your last one's already been um, at, in Louisville. You're going to be pitching in Kansas City on your next start. Nice. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, uh, Todd Stoudemire, he was having some, I think his shoulder was bothering him. And 
So I actually it was August. My first start was the twenty something, twenty ninth or something of August. So I actually had some time to, you know, call my parents and went up, got on the payphone. You know, I had a payphone up there, put quarters in there or your calling card, whatever. And you know, called my mom and dad first, and you know, it was a it was a long time coming. I, you know, I was a first round pick, you know, but but I put my time in and and I had to, you know, I had to earn it, you know, and I appreciate that to this day. Um, but, you know, I called the parents and it was, you know, it's the best feeling, you know, you can have as an athlete to, to get to that point, you know, and, uh, now I started thinking about Kansas city. I'm like, well, at least it's Kansas city, you know, cause you know, they don't really have these big crowds, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it won't be too bad. And the first game, the Kansas, the game was, is the first interleague game. Oh, wow. That they played. Yeah, so they sold out. It's the first sellout in like ten years, you know. <laughs> so I threw like four and two thirds, I think. Um, had a chance to get the win. We were winning. I came out winning, but I came out bases loaded. The reliever, I can't remember who came in. Might have been John Prescatori, but came in and got me out of the inning. We 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 ended up winning the game, but I didn't qualify for the win. Um, but uh, it was great, you know the. You'll never get a feeling like that ever again, you know, when it comes to, you know, being an athlete or a guy that's grinded in sports and, you know, was, dream, you know, making your dream come true, you know. But, oh, you know, that, no that's the easy part. Yeah, the easy part was doing that. After all that, I said I grinded out. But that was the easy part. The hardest part was staying. It was staying up there. <laughs> well, well, you got it right. It was August 29th versus the Royals. Yeah. And do you yeah. remember who the first batter was you faced? Uh, Johnny. Yep. Johnny Damon. Yeah. And, and you got him first pitch, you threw a strike and then you got him to ground out. Yeah. I, I, I pitched against him a little bit in the minor leagues and double A actually, he was in Wichita right before he got called up. That was like, that was two years prior though. But, uh, I actually played against him quite a bit there in the minors and we knew each other and I, I knew I was familiar with him. I was familiar with a lot of the guys in their lineup just by playing against them and they were in Omaha. We played in the same, you know, I was in Louisville. So they were, we played quite a bit in triple a, um, you know, Jeff King was in that lineup. He, he, big league, you know, guy veteran for a long time. Power, you know, he had some power then too. You know, he taught me that, you know, right away that I couldn't just throw like a little, you know, one Oh curveball in there just to get a strike. You know, he, <laughs> he first home run I gave up. Yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah, because he, he saw it coming. He just was like he was just waiting on it, you know. But they teach you real quick up there, you know, what you can and can't do. So, well, let me ask you a question there, man. What who would you consider in the game uh, your nemesis? That is somebody who, no matter how many times you faced them, you couldn't get the guy out. Oh man, you know it, it, this goes with minors and big leagues. But there was a guy. Yeah. Remembering, but he played. He had a good career. His name was Chris Steins. He was kind of a utility guy. Played with the Reds, uh, maybe the Royals too. Uh, I think he did play the Royals. But I, I faced him a lot in the minor. He wore me out. He was a right-hander too, and I usually did good against him. And he just hit me all the time. I just, I, I didn't. It didn't matter what I did. He'd hit a single. He did a double. You know, and I faced him a lot in the minors like that. And then we got in the big leagues when I saw him. Same thing. You know, but it's kind of funny. I mean, you'd think it, I'd say, and, you know, 
I only faced Tony Gwynn four times, but he got three hits on me. You know, like <laughs> two doubles, one down left field line, one down right field line. You know, um, but I didn't see enough of him. But I, that's all I wanted to see of him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, me too. Indians back then were always pretty rough. You know, but you know they they you know Tommy and uh, Manny Ramirez and uh, Alomar, both Alomars and Kenny Lofton and. You know, Kenny Lofton was always, it's like he owned me too. I, it just felt that way. You know, I, a lot of the guys, when I was with the White Sox, most that's when I got most of my, you know, where you get multiple at-bats against guys and you see them a lot in your division, you know. So yeah. um, a lot of guys, I didn't see a whole, whole lot, you know, but I did see a lot of those Indians and Detroit Tigers and guys like that when I was with the Sox. But but uh, that guy, Chris, I mean, he he. <laughs> It, it, I'm telling you, right? You know, usually it's lefties. You know, lefties were the changeup was always probably my bottom pitch, my fourth pitch. You know, I, uh, so I'd, I'd struggle. You know, lefties would get me a little bit. I just wanted them to hit it on the ground. You know, and a lot of times they did, but they get that four hole. But um, you know, righties always had a pretty good thing with. You know, had pretty good success. So I could throw my breaking ball in there, but lefties most of the time. But this guy happened to be a righty, and I just couldn't do nothing to him. You know, that's funny. You know. Like, Throw it down the middle and just hit it, hit the first pitch. <laughs> just, do just get it over with. Right. Well, yeah. I, I'm looking at Chris Stein's splits from that year. He only uh-huh. hit 195 against lefties. He hit 389 against righties. There so you go. Is that, is you, that crazy? You, you are not the only one that had a problem <laughs> yeah, getting him that out. Makes me feel better. I'm glad I talked to you today. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. have not uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I said, but most of our at bats with him. It, it was in the minor. I mean, I, the majority of them against him were probably in the minors. I don't know how many times I got, but I just remember when I did, I felt like he got hit, still got hits off of me, you know, but he just had my number, you know. Flipping to the opposite side, Sean, uh, any any player that, you, that is a standout player that you didn't seem to have any problems with, even though other people did? Sammy Sosa. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I think he was. He was one for on me. I know that he got one little hit. I think, uh, but I struck him out a lot. I think I I think he was, and I, I'm not a stat guy at all. But I've had people say this to me, but I think he was like one for seventeen or something like that with a lot of strikeouts. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I think he's pro- he. I bet I, with biggest name for sure. You know, lowest batting average, probably most dominance by me for whatever reason. You know. Um, this I, I was able to throw my curveball in there with him. He didn't like those a lot, and he was he liked to swing. You know, he was yeah. a hacker. If you didn't make mistakes, you know, you had a chance against him. But you know, if you did, you know, I've seen him hit a lot of home runs. So. Sure, sure, that's well, that's amazing. Speaking of of Sosa and home runs, so you were on the Cardinals team not the entire season, but uh, in 1998 during uh-huh. the, the McGuire and Sosa. You know, home uh-huh. run derby. What uh, what yeah. what do you remember about that? That had to have been crazy. Yeah, I mean, everywhere you went, you know, the batting practice, you'd have, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people for batting practice just to see McGuire, you know. Um, I don't remember, because I didn't play, but in that, that season, I went up and down four or five times, but... Uh, I was up there for about a month straight once, and it was in May. Early, it was early in the season, and then I went up maybe once or twice after that. 
and I, di- I didn't get called back up at the end of the year, which I, I was very disappointed just because that home run race was going on, you know. Mm-hmm. I, but that was kind of the end of the road for me with the Cardinals. Um, that after that after that year, they traded me that off season to the White Sox, and which ended up being a great move for me. And um, you know, I loved the Cardinals and everything, but with McGuire there, I think it was '97 when I was up in in September is when he actually signed a, you know, they traded for him, I think, in 96 and got him over there, and he signed an extension in 97. And it, it was, they announced it right before the game. And they said, Mark McGuire, you know, just signed a three, four, well, I don't remember what it was, multi-million dollar deal. You know, it, everybody's like, ah, you know, and Jill's mm-hmm. running down. And you know, he gets up there and I'm, it's a dang home run, you know, and it's like, unreal, <laughs> you know. And you know, that guy, you know, I loved him. You know, I, I didn't play a whole lot with him, uh, but the little time that I spent with him, you know, it was at the height of all that. And he was just such a normal dude. It, it was amazing. He treated you like like, like a teammate needed to be treated. You know, he had that aura about him where, you you know, he was a leader that way. And, um, you know, I never really had a whole big favorite player when I was when I was growing up, really. I, had, I liked a lot of players, but... You know, when I got when I got up there and I played with him, and I got around him. I saw what he was doing and everybody on him and how he ran. I mean, it was like, man, how can you know how can you dog this guy? I know how where it ended up with all that stuff, but you know, he still. I mean, it was it was a great thing. And then you know, the, they do that thing. He hits the home run. The next year, he you know hits seventy. And um, you know, I got to see some of those home runs. He hit a home run in my debut game, actually. Um, but he, the balls that that he would hit were like so high, you know. They yeah. just come around. Just they'd go to the moon, you know, and you know you'd have thousands of people there for batting practice just to watch it. You know, that, that's that's never happened again. You know, never has. I mean, it was a pretty crazy moment. I guess kind of saved baseball in whatever way. I guess you know, kind of got got back on track from from the strike and things like that. So ended up being good, but you know, I just hate that it turned out like it did with with him because. You know, he's a he's a Hall of Fame guy, no matter what. You know, he put up great numbers, and you know, I I don't really root for the steroid era stuff. You know, I got different views on that stuff, but in the end, you know, I, I just look at him as a person, how he treated me. You know, and I'd vote for him. You know, for sure. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Yeah. So your time in Chicago, uh, we actually you there was a, uh, a, a an anniversary about two weeks ago, and I want to see mm-hmm. if you remember this game. It was the huh? Detroit Tigers, and it was at Comiskey Park, and oh, it yeah. was one of the biggest brawls. That there were three okay. or four of them throughout the game. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, I remember uh, plainly. Yeah. Yeah, I, there were some big bodies in there. Frank Thomas, Juan Gonzalez, Carlos Lee, Tony Clark. We're, Let me tell you, Jeff Brokell, uh I mean, their whole team, the Tigers team, had a big bunch of monsters anyway. I mean, we had our fair share, but, you know, that, that season, that was about – that was that was April. You know, it was the first three – you know, whatever day it was, first few weeks of the season. And um, I had actually got hit with a line drive on March 27th, uh, at the, my, my spring training, I got David DeLucci. I threw a pitch. He hit a 102 off my face. Um, ah. so I had a, I had a broken cheekbone and a broken nose. Oh. Um, still, 
so I didn't get in any fights. What I'm saying, I was out there <laughs> and, and all that, but I, my eyes were still bloodshot red. And I still had black eyes from that. You know, I was still pitching and playing. And, you know, I wasn't swole up no more. But you know, it was uh, it was one of those games. We we didn't have necessarily a lot of bad blood with them, but it wasn't good blood. You know, there was a few things that have happened in the past. That nothing big, you know, just typical rivalry type stuff, and you know, and they they hit us. I don't remember who they hit first. And we go out, and I think Parquet, Jim Parquet retaliates. You know, drills Dean Palmer, and then Palmer's the one that charged. You know, in all right. reality, what happened is Palmer should have ate it because we're just retaliating. You know, you hit our guy, we're hitting yours. I think they hit Maglo. I think. Um, I can't, oh. I'm not 100% on that, but, you know, so Parquet goes out and, you know, he's not told to do it, but as any good teammate would, he's going to protect his teammates, you know, and he's going to throw one in, you know, where if he hits him, he hits him. If he don't, so he gets drilled and, you know, Palmer's, you know, I, you know, he, he charged. So that's when it all started and it just never quit. Once they, once they calmed it down, it got back out there and we did it again. You know, then uh, here we go. Bob Howry. You know, throws one inside, didn't hit the guy, almost almost hits him. You know, they turn around, next thing you know, we're going again. And then Dean Palmer's out there after he's out, got kicked out of the game. But, uh, you know, they that was pretty dirty. It was There was some dirty stuff. You know, uh, they blindsided Keith Folt pretty good. He ended up getting stitches on his eye. Um, Bill Seamus, old cleaver, you know, he's an old tough dude, good guy, great guy, one of my good buddies. You know, he's – He's robbed the bone when it comes to, to to that kind of stuff. He's gonna go out there and get right in the middle of it, you know. And when you, those guys are like that, I mean, it just wouldn't calm down. And when it did, you know, there was different cells of guys, you know. And I brag about that fight all the time, you know, because you ain't gonna find a better brawl. You really won't. I mean, it, it was just a lot of action going on. Even if you listen to Hawk and and uh, Darren Jack, it's pretty good too, you know, because they're Homer guys, you know. Oh, you can't do that, you know. And I, I watched the the anniversary thing, but it was like a year or two ago. Somebody sent it, put it on on Facebook actually, and um, I, I I got that YouTube deal. So whenever they ask people, ask, "Hey, you ever been in a Bronx?" Well, I have. I, I didn't throw any punches, but here's a video of it. You know, <laughs> I, I'm watching it right now. It's 11 minutes long. <laughs> oh yeah, it, but that's you know they, it broke out twice, mm-hmm. like. It, we broke out and they stopped it and then we we threw another and then they broke out and it broke out two or three times in the one fight so it was just like it was ongoing and and you know what's good about that fight is you know we we ended up winning 95 games that year which was i think the most in the league and both leagues in the major league baseball and from that moment we really clicked as a team i mean it was almost like a you know we weren't supposed to be you know we weren't supposed to win the division that year but it it just kind of from that moment, I, I don't know if we were around 500 or whatever. I think we just kind of started rolling, you know. So it, it was a it was a game changer for us as far as like how we ended up going out there and playing playing with each other. You know, there was a they had to stagger all the fines, uh, all the all the suspensions because oh, we sure. wouldn't had enough players to play. You know, so we said, yeah. all right, you two guys that can't play today, and then you know y'all got to take your day or two or whatever you got, and then we're going to let him do this day, this day, and. <laughs> now, I'm supposed to say this, but Jerry Reinsdorf, he paid all the fines for all the players. You know, they never came out of the players' pockets. So he came down there like a good owner, and he appreciated what we fought for. You know, 
So it, it was it was a character builder for us, and, and it really did kind of pull us together. And you know, we ended up spanking Detroit every year, every game after that. I mean, we we whooped them the whole time. Seemed like nice. you know, after that. Well, there were there were sixteen suspensions for a total of eighty two games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot. Half, <laughs> half, half wow. So you see, who got the most was a damn coach. It was one Sam Well. Oh yeah, because he threw a he threw a yeah, real cheap shot, yeah. and like yeah, four or was, five uh, tigers were were jumping somebody. That was Bill. Se- yeah, that was Seamus. That was getting. There was four or five guys on him, but all by themselves. You know, just broke out. Yeah, you know, it's a. It was crazy. You know, like I said, it was. It was intense for sure, and I, you know, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I'm just trying to be a good guy and break it up. I'm like, please, you know, I'm I'm already broke. You know, don't break <laughs> me anymore. You know, and I I couldn't do anything because if I did get in that, I mean, it might have set me out longer than a game or two. You know, I was just trying to protect myself along with you know just trying to keep everybody else from getting hammered. You know. Did you uh, did you ever throw a purpose pitch? I, I say purpose pitch to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I threw a lot of them. Yeah, um, I never. It was never a. It was never a time when you're trying to hurt somebody, you know. But you're trying to make a statement, you know, and um, it, it's one of those things that you just kind of learn as a player. You, you know, you gain respect. I mean, if your guys are getting hit or. Whatever I mean, those are the most of the time. That's what it was. Never a time when, when I was mad at a guy because he got a hit off of me or anything like that. It was more in a moment where you're you're doing something like that, you know, where you're protecting your one of your guys or um, guys are just out there diving on you, you know, and just raking you. Sometimes you got to throw it. You got to throw it in there. Sometimes just say, hey, you know, you got to quit doing that because you're wearing me out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it happens, and I, I do a lot more that I hit a lot more guys I hit and, you know, of course it was just by accident. Most of the time it was a lot of times it was, you know, when I was ahead in the count, just trying to make a good pitch in there, you know, inside and, you know, didn't really benefit me a lot. Maybe you can give us a little insight to the bullpen. I've been talking with Seth McClung on Twitter, former reliever, uh-huh. and he's got a trophy for something called the bullpen Olympics that they used to do in the bullpen. How, what, what kind of things would you do down in the bullpen to, to keep yourself amused? You know, uh, that's a whole different ball game down there. You know, <laughs> when I, I was kind of raised as a starter, you know, and I, I think I was, probably better that way you know the, the more in, I never was like a one inning guy or a one guy one go in there and get a guy out I, for whatever reason my mentality just wasn't that great with that but I did my best you know but you know a lot of it down there I mean it just depends on what time of year it is and, but most of the time you know just depending on what you know what part of the game you know usually you kind of know when you're going to throw but uh, when the situation is, but you know, I, I, I never was too crazy. You know, you flicked a lot of seeds, and you know, and I, I, I didn't do a lot of game stuff um, just because most of the time I, I kind of went in at all times, so I always try to stay a little bit prepared. I wasn't no serious guy all the time, but some other guys did some stuff. They, you know, messing with the fans probably more than anything, but but uh, you know, I there wasn't. I didn't do a whole lot of too much of crazy stuff or, you know, trying to put people's shoes on fire or, or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, 
And it, it, honestly, it depends on what team you're with. Different team has different, you know, all of a sudden you start playing a game, you know, doing something, and, you know, next thing you have is Olympics, you know, or, or a medal for them, you know. So that, I'm sure there's a lot more crazier stories out there than I could do. I, I just didn't have a whole lot of that stuff. But I could talk more about crazy things that were after the game, you know. Not <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have to wear like a Barbie backpack or something uh, to take the treats out? Oh yeah, yeah. We our rules. Most teams were, you know, you had a you had a candy bucket or seeds. You you know, you had to make sure that the bullpen had uh, had all their stuff. And the guy that had the least amount of time was always the butt boy, you know, or or whatever. And I think they did that some with with rookies. Some teams just did all rookies had to do it, and they. And, and but if you had didn't matter the least amount of time, even if you had a couple of years in the big leagues, sometimes you're carrying that thing, you know. <laughs> but most of the time you wouldn't. It, you know, it's mostly first year guys or you know the rookies or guys that just came up, and you're you know you're sitting down there and a lot of guys are like, sweet, I'm glad he's coming up, you know, and I can pass the bag, <laughs> you know. And sometimes it was a pink bag or. And some guys just did, did regular bags. The biggest thing was just making sure we had, you know, everybody was taken care of. But but you got to put your time in. You know, you, you got to go with it. You got to like it. It sucks. But in the end, you know, I'll take that walk with that pink bag down to the bullpen any day of the week, you know, because that means I'm on a big league team and on a big league field, you know, and that's at the time you're like eh, but you know you look back it's like man I, i'd do it right now you ask me i'd go back and do it all day long amen mark and i both uh, have worked for the mariners mark still does and i remember in september we'd look down there right before the game started and after call-ups there were four or five guys just one after another yeah. with those pink backpacks yeah. taking them out there. yeah, <laughs> yeah th- those are really the th- little things like that when you get out of baseball i mean you miss the game for sure, you miss the competition, but but all has got things that you do like that, and you know, with the guys and just spending the time, and you, you got to find things like that to do, you know, just to you know, just to make days go by sometimes, and, and to, <laughs> to make it different, you know, because every day, every day in baseball is the same, you know, you, you don't even know what day it is half the time, you know, yeah. you you know when you got a day game, <laughs> you don't know what day it is, but you know you got a day game. You know, and you know you're off day. You know, you know you yeah, got an off day. After that, it's like everything's the same. So to break up monotony, that's kind of what guys do. You know, when you get off the plane too, uh, used to you, you carry beer, you'd have to be a beer boy or a drink boy. You get waters <laughs> and beer. And you had to carry on the bus. You know, when you get off the plane, you get on the bus, go to a hotel. So you know, you'd have to carry. You'd always have to have a few beers on you just in case somebody wanted one. Well, good thing you were never teammates with Wade Boggs then, because that would have been a yeah, heavy. I've, I've heard that story. Uh, Brian <laughs> Brian Bowringer, you know, he's mm-hmm. old. Play, he played with him in in New York, and I think he. I don't know if it's one of the first times he got caught up, but he he was a young player at this time. Not Wade, but uh, Brian Bowringer. He he said that he was kind of hanging with him, sitting with him, you know, drinking beer with him, and they actually called him in. Uh, he didn't tell me and they said hey you know you're a young player you know they weren't saying that Wade was a bad influence they were just they just knew that what you know he drank his beer and he'd say sometimes he'd drink 24 damn beers sometimes you know unreal 
Yeah, but on a like a flight, you know, a long flight, you know, when you got to fly across the country, drink a bunch of them. You know, I had my fair share too. I hated flying, so it always helped me. You know, that's like have, having an extra have, pillow. Yeah, it is. It was for me, man. There ain't no doubt. I mean, that's a, you know, even if I wasn't a uh, drinker off that plane, I'd still drink on a plane. You know, I just <laughs> never have been that comfortable on a plane. So. All right, so we're going to stop right here. We've still got some more conversations with Sean Lowe. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying it so far. We've got some really great stories. I was so excited, I'm going to be honest, when I saw on social media the anniversary of that brawl with the Tigers, and I knew yeah. that Sean was on that White Sox team, and I was, That's right. I was just itching to ask him about that, and for him to remember it that well and uh, be able to, to talk to us about it. I did not know that he had taken a, a, <laughs> a batted ball in the face in spring training. I knew that he had pitched a couple of days before and a couple of days after, so I knew he would be there. But I'm not sure I would have wanted to get in a scrum with those big boys if my face was still kind of broken up <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's great stuff. Um, so just uh, we'll, we'll tease you a little bit about what else we're going to talk to him about next week. Uh, we did. I we, we ventured into not so much Astros territory, but I just flat out ask him when you were on the mound, if you saw someone on second base relaying signs to the batter, what would happen? What what did happen when you saw that? And he gave us an interesting answer. We also talked to him about some of his baseball cards and uh, one of his baseball cards, which is very interesting. And along those lines, then we do play Wax Packs Heroes with him, which was by far and away the most interesting Wax Packs Heroes we've done because he had a story just about for every single card we pulled, which was very, so much insight. very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff, folks. You want to tune in. in. Including one, which I think the statute of limitations has been lifted on one of them, uh, <laughs> one of the stories. So I think we can share it, but uh, it's incredible. So unfortunately, there is no Wax Packs Hero this week, but we have got great news for you if you like Wax Packs Heroes. If you jump over to our YouTube page, and I will make sure to put uh, links in our show notes, we are right now in the midst of the first annual Bump Bailey Wax Packs Heroes Tournament of Awesome. And what this is, is we've got a lot of our friends from the internet, uh, from Twitter, from podcasts, and uh, we're, we're doing a March Madness single elimination bracket style tournament of uh, Wax Packs Heroes. And we're releasing new episodes uh, every, probably every three or four days. We're a couple of matches in already. It's a lot of fun. It's only on YouTube, though. So, you know, we're trying to get you to check out our YouTube channel. While you're there, you can also find the video versions of a lot of these, uh, a lot of these Wax Packs heroes that Mark and I play amongst each other, as well as when we have guests. So obviously you won't see one of those this week, but you will next week when we'll when we release Sean Lowe's after we uh, after we get through the second part of his interview. But also be sure to check out. We're having a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully uh, you will too. It's I, I'm just will warn you right now. It's not safe for work here. We try to keep things safe for work on the podcast, but uh, we encourage there. There's no PED testing. There is uh, drinking allowed during these things. So. 
Uh, it's a little bit different, but a lot of fun. I hope you will jump over there and check it out. Beyond that, though, we appreciate everybody, uh, as always, for listening. We really appreciate everybody. Mark, we had a lot of people uh, check in on you last week just to make sure that and, and hope that you're doing okay. We want to thank everybody. That was really nice of our, yeah. of our listeners. That's a, that's a very humbling thing. Thanks, everybody, that, that uh, inquired about that. I, I really do appreciate it. And, and we really do. And we appreciate, We've, like I said, we got some really great um, uh, reviews that people have been leaving. We really appreciate that. And uh, if you want to get a hold of us, we are available many different ways. You can find us on social media, both on Twitter and Instagram, at 2 Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. You can find us, of course, on YouTube on our 2 Strike Noise podcast channel. Mark, they can send us an email as well. 2 Strike Noise at gmail.com. That is uh, a way you can reach us. We really appreciate it. And Mark, we're definitely going to be back next week because I can't wait to share the second part of this interview with former major leaguer Sean Lowe and his Wax Packs heroes, and it's a blast. Will you be here? I'll be counting the hours. (laughs) All right. Well, then, thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day. 